partake of you, Abba, Jesus, and Holy Spirit in sharing tonight. Today, wherever we are in this, on this planet, we are seated in the timeless heavens in Abba's heart on his throne in Christ Jesus, full of Holy Spirit, full of one another. <laughs> Remember Jesus said, Abba, as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may know that you have sent me. May they have that experience, that relational experience of being in us and inside of one another. We'll come back to that. But that's our, our launching pad, <laughs> the heavenly launching pad. The throne is our launching pad from which we never leave, <laughs> but are always off on excursions in the excursion. The paradox of being in Jesus everywhere and in one another in the purest and holiest sense that our lives are completely one as Abba Jesus and Holy Spirit's life is one, one life, one love, one being. Our lives in him are made in that image and likeness to be one together. So wherever we are, seated in our bedrooms, our living rooms, our dining rooms, our bathrooms, every place is holy. And uh, you are holy in Christ Jesus. We are seated with and celebrating with a myriad of angels here around us, uh, experiencing their good dancing pleasure around Abba's throne, the world of angels, the world of the congregation of the firstborn enrolled in heaven, rolling in heaven, enrolled. <laughs> You're on the roll and in the roll, in the giant Tootsie Roll uh, on Abba's throne. So enjoy the rolling and uh, the perfection of being one of the spirits of the righteous made perfect, that he has perfected you in himself that Jesus has done it. He has done it all. He is the full focus. As we focus on him, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, the better covenant, and his blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel's, it speaks mercy, it speaks forgiveness, it speaks reconciliation, it speaks redemption, it speaks rolling, rolling in the deep. Everything that we peeps have been looking for, it's all about him as we keep focused on our Lord, our Savior, our King Jesus, and where he is seated, because where he is seated, we are seated and we are seated in him. So we keep our full focus on Jesus and he turns our eyes absolutely on Abba all the time. And Holy Spirit filling us with new vision to see not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit from where we are. We are in this gospel, this good news, this euangelion. The Greek is euangelion, the news of great joyfulness, supreme joyfulness. The you put in front of the angelion, the message, it just is the intensifier, the supreme intensifier of great joy, the greatest joy and bliss of Jesus.
And so tonight we are just going to share Jesus from the heavenly place. And in seeing him, we see what is not him. We, we can sense the, the non-gospel, the, the counterfeits, the phonies, the fakes, the deep fakes even uh, of those that pretend to be Jesus and can lead other people astray. So we want to go with a presentation tonight. Uh, Holy Spirit has put on my heart two different gospels. One that is the true euangelion and one that is uh, a angelion. And if you put a in front of it, <laughs> it means not or the exact opposite, right? like atheist. <laughs> it's the atheistic gospel, we could even say, the non Trinitarian gospel, but it can creep in there. I mean, if you think of uh, our brother Paul, today is the feast day, at least in the Latin calendar, of uh, the feast of St. Peter, St. Paul. You know, I was, I was asking my daughter earlier today, hey, you know, I'm going to go off, off, to, uh, off to, to mass. What time should I go? And she, she said, go, go at five. Uh, that's at St. Paul's. And I arrive there and the priest says, oh, I'm in my vestments today because today's the feast day of St. Peter and St. Paul. That's drunk. <laughs> my prophetic daughter is sending me to St. Paul's to celebrate with St. Paul and the cloud of witnesses on their feast day. Think about these amazing brothers of ours, Saints Peter and St. Paul. And all that those dudes those great brothers had to go through to be faithful to Jesus, the Jesus that they had the personal encounter with. I mean, Peter hung out with Jesus for three, three and a half years in the flesh and learned from him and then <laughs> departed from him, forsook him. And after the resurrection, Jesus pulled him in and, you know, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs, you know, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. You know, Jesus is telling Peter, take care of these little ones. Take care of my own ones. Give them my good news. <laughs> and Peter tried to do that and gave up, gave up his life for it. You know, at the end of John's gospel, when Jesus is saying that thrice to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter breaks down. <laughs> you know, I love you. At the end, Jesus said, you know, when you were a young man, dude, you went whichever way you wanted to go. You know, you went back to fishing. You know, it's kind of implying Peter had gone back to fishing. Even after the resurrection, even, even after he'd seen the risen Lord in the flesh, you know, and hugged him and <laughs> ate with him, drank with the risen Lord, Peter went back into, to a fishing, to what he knew, and casting the nets and, and dragging along the disciples with him. I'm going fishing, boys, you coming along. And then Jesus, even after seeing him, earlier than this and blowing the Holy Spirit on him. Peter goes back to fishing and even then Jesus forgives him again. 
Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Well, you know, in the old days, you used to go wherever you wanted to go, but realize that they're going to take that belt away from you and take you at the end where you do, do not want to go. And you probably have heard at some point of how St. Peter died for the gospel. For the gospel, St. Peter died. They put him on a cross upside down. He didn't feel himself worthy to die in the exact same manner as his Lord. He wanted to die upside down. And he gave up his life for the gospel. He endured so much persecution for the gospel. Peter, the head of the disciples. And St. Paul, beheaded for the gospel. Peter, uh, Peter and Paul, those guys endured a whole lot and managed to stay full of the Holy Ghost, fully in love with Jesus, fully on fire, and fully willing to stand against those who would share another Jesus, who would lead people astray. Paul gave up his life, even to the end, being beheaded in Rome for this gospel whipped many times whipped uh, thrown to the beasts shipwrecked he went through it all as though being stoned <laughs> left for dead but he was willing to be faithful and full of joy full of the fullness of Abba Jesus and Holy Spirit sharing that gospel everywhere he went and willing to Again, reveal, realizing where he was seated in Christ, reveal the gospel that is not seated in Christ. The counter gospel, the anti-gospel, the gospel of the antichrist, which is an a-gospel. That which does not fully confess Christ as fully God, fully man, come in the flesh. Only begotten Son of the Father, begotten, not made, light of light, true God from true God. So with Paul, we occasionally have to go to the expose of this anti-gospel, this a-gospel. In Galatians, you know, Paul really tries to expose that which is the counterfeit and he, at the start, says, you know, you Galatians, how quickly you have turned. You know? And then he says, uh, who has bewitched you that you've turned to another gospel? You know, and, and sadly, we've seen people, even people who have been part of our grace and glory community, uh, people that we've known who've turned at some point to other gospels or what they believe might be a gospel or some other type of news, of course, our hearts go with them and there's no condemnation for them. We don't preach it as, as a matter of condemnation, but a matter of discernment and a discernment out of love, right? So we have to know where we are seated in Christ, know who Christ is, first of all, in Abba Jesus and Holy Spirit, sharing that love, sharing that compassion but that passion comes from the passion of Christ. 
not some kind of other compassion, but compassion flowing from the heart of Abba Jesus and Holy Spirit. So we're going to take a look at two Gospels tonight. If you want to take a few notes, that would be fine. If you're into note-taking, usually I'm, uh, I'm not a big note-taker these days, but some things might jump out at you uh, that you may not have heard before, and you may encounter people with these mindsets, and you might be able to help them along the way out of a true compassion, not an argumentativeness, but understanding how people think and why they think as they do. It's an important thing in, in discernment to understand we have the mind of Christ and to think as Jesus does. We have his mind. And when others are starting to think uh, otherwise, to come along and help them. This is what Paul and Peter did. You know, Even Paul stood up to Peter at one point in Galatians, right? And Peter, you, you're going off track, my old boy. You know, you're acting like a Gentile. You know, hanging out over here with the Judaizers. So sometimes we need to be able to stand and understand people's mindsets, where they're coming from, and possibly even to, to correct them, to help them. Not a matter of I'm right, I have to be right, but as a flow of the gospel. The gospel is has a corrective element to it. And we may not think that it's, it's drunken, but it's quite, you know, if somebody's drinking bad stuff, you know, if they're drinking poison, if they're drinking rot gut, you want to say, here, get that stuff away from you. Here's the good hundred proof, you know, that's going to really not set you off and really give you the best high, the most high. So two Gospels. The first one will give you the anti-Gospel, the A-Gospel the non or a euangelion non-good news now i'm going to start in the modern period starting around the 1600s i'm not going to give a full history lesson here but i think it's important we understand why people think as they do we often think hey i'm an individual i'm an independent thinker i make up my own mind without understanding we are all plagiarists you know, I was a college professor for uh, two and a half decades and, and saw a lot of plagiarism during that time, sadly so. And uh, also saw people taking other people's ideas and claiming them as their own, but not realizing the source of those ideas. We swim in a, in a pool, in a school, and sometimes we don't understand that we're in this pool and school just because we've been in it so long. Uh, one famous uh, thinker from my city, a Christian thinker, his name is Marshall McLuhan. You may have heard of this guy before. He came up with the term global village, great thinker. Uh, McLuhan said, a fish knows nothing of water. A fish knows nothing of water. When does a fish know anything about water? Well, when it's taken out of the water and then it starts to realize, get me back into that place or, oh, I come from that place. But sometimes we need that perspective to come out of the 
the view and see what brought us into that place or what brought that condition all about. And we'll call this the modern period or the modern gospel, which starts with the age of reason or the age of enlightenment. Right? You'll hear lots of people these days saying that they're woke and they're enlightened. Right? But there's ancient or older uh, precedents for this wokenness. wokenness. The age of enlightenment, age of reason starts just after the Reformation. And it's often attributed to one guy. You may have heard of him before, a guy named René Descartes. Have any of you heard of René Descartes before? He's a, a French philosopher. You've probably heard what he, his famous maxim. I think, therefore, I am. I think, therefore, I am. Descartes was a philosopher, and he had this method that he used to prove existence, to prove his own existence. He wanted to radically doubt everything. We talk about deconstructionists these days. Well, this was uh, one of the early, early modern deconstructionists. So he doubted everything, whether he existed or not. So how is he going to prove that he exists? So he goes through this great thought experiment to prove that he exists. And he posits at one point some kind of devil, okay, as a, a thought experiment. Well, maybe there's a devil uh, that actually is deluding me, confusing me, deceiving me so that I think that I exist. So Descartes goes through a dismissal of that and eventually comes to the conclusion, if I think, I must exist. If I'm even deceived, I must exist. So I think, therefore, I am. Okay, that proves his existence to him. But what we see after Descartes is people taking his method or his methodology of radical doubt. And the modern period is marked with this initiation of radical doubt, where we doubt everything even our own existence, and we turn to the subject. We turn to the individual. I think, therefore, I am. So it's all about what I think. It's about my mind, my thoughts, my cogito, my ego. I become the standard of all things. And what happens after Descartes is people take his method and they start to use them on all kinds of things. So we start to see in the modern period, people doubting the uh, authority of scripture, uh, the inspiration of scripture. The slippery slope continues with uh, doubting of miracles, doubting whether there is a personal devil, whether there's personal spirits, spirit beings, angels and demons, uh, whether the, there was a virgin birth, whether Jesus was the son of God, and ultimately ending up with the rise of modern, you guessed it, atheism. So atheism became extent in the modern period, especially as people started to go through this radical deconstruction and doubt where they doubted 
questioned everything. So there was no miracles. There was no devil. There were no angels. There was no virgin birth. There was no incarnation. Jesus was just a great teacher or uh, a mentally ill uh, Jew. And there's no Trinity. There's no God. And this kind of leads us to where we are today the, in the postmodern situation where we've already deconstructed everything. And now we just continue thinking what I think matters. And I become the standard of everything. I become my own God. And it's all about me, what I think, what I feel, especially in the postmodern situation, is what I feel is important. It's my feelings and being offended and what I think is true or not true. Well, is there any truth? Everything's relative. So we're, we find ourselves in this, this fishbowl, this uh, school, and we're surrounded by people who think this way. And <laughs> Whether we like it or not, we're influenced by it. And it's hard to escape it at times. And you see it in various churches, in various Christian communities, where they deconstruct and doubt everything. And I've got to prove everything for myself. Well, the people that are doing that, although they don't realize it, are true Cartesians. They're followers of René Descartes. But there is uh, the first modern. The first modern, is anyone who the first modern is? Even way back before Descartes, the first modern thought for himself, questioned for himself, turned to himself. This is what I think. I think, therefore, I am the I am. The original thinker. It was the tempter. And look what he did. He pulled us into this situation of radical doubt, turning to our first mother and asking the first question in scripture. Did God really say? And getting her to doubt God's goodness, God's love, God's acceptance, that God had already perfected Adam and Eve, she had turned to herself and thought she had to do something to be perfect, to become like God when she was, she and her husband were already perfectly made in the image and likeness of God. A perfect and spotless bride she already was. Yet there was something that she thought she had to do and she followed the deconstructor's deconstructionalist method. And she pulled someone along into that deconstruction with her. She saw that the fruit was good to eat, even though she knew that she, and was able to quote what God had said, she saw it was good for herself, good to eat, and she took an eighth. And well, she didn't want to be alone in this and gave some to her husband and he ate too. And from there, immediately, they start to deconstruct themselves even further by realizing that they're naked and start sewing fig leaves and clothing themselves out of guilt, out of shame, out of fear, 
running and hiding in the bushes. God comes along in the cool of day or in the day, in the calmness, in the coolness, and says, Adam, where are you? And Adam from the bushes uh, is quaking in fear because he, his mindset, his mind had become darkened and deluded. He forgot who God was. Abba, Jesus and Holy Spirit, Father, Son and Spirit. He turned to himself and had all kinds of confused thoughts about God and about himself. And he turns to himself. Eve turns to herself and trusts herself trusts her own reasoning, trusts her own judgments, her own standards and things, and set humanity on this path of non-euangelion. <laughs> and we see in the Old Testament a whole lot of that non-blah of humans thinking things out for themselves. Cain, messing around there, turning to himself, getting jealous, killing his brother. We see humanity going astray completely with the fall, the second fall where uh, in Genesis 6, the world and the earth becomes filled with such abomination and unglory that the Father, Son, and Spirit want to start all over. Now, we could skip ahead to First Peter 3. We could see the purpose of that. We're not supposed to live in the flesh, but people were living in the flesh and we're going to destroy all flesh. And this was the enemy's plan. Destroy all flesh. Get them to live in the flesh. Get them to destroy themselves. But even Abba, Jesus, and Holy Spirit intervened there. We may not look at his intervention, but there is a whole method a greater method to the seeming madness of genocide, we could even say, and a, a reboot, a starting again in Noah and his family. We see in the Old Testament a leading up to Jesus, everything that the enemy is trying to do is lead away from the coming of the Messiah to destroy the plan of God for the restoration of all things. So everything that he can do to destroy that, he's going to come along and do that. So the Old Testament, a whole lot of difficult passages there, but as if we look at it through the Messiah, through Jesus, through Yeshua, through God's plan and purpose and pattern in Jesus, which we're going to come to, we can start to see those passages, those wrath passages, those anger and punishment passages as mercy. We see that everything is done out of love and mercy because that is who God is. Out of Jesus and Holy Spirit is love and mercy. So the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, you name it. Uh, Korah's rebellion, all the really bad stuff, which we have to look at. I mean, you can turn away from it, or you can follow the ancient heretic Marcion and say, well, that was a completely different God living at that time. <laughs> or it was a demigod that created. And now we have 
a truer God. That's uh, an ancient heresy that, that the church denounced, Marcionism. No, there is only one God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, who created all things. And in the Old Testament is doing those things, which could seem harsh and cruel. But again, there's a plan and a purpose. And the reversal happens at the right time that a man is born of woman. That the God-man came in the flesh and was born of woman. And that would lead us into the modern gospel end. Jesus is trying to lead us away from that modern ancient gospel. We could think, well, the modern gospel starts in the 1600s. But the modern gospel really starts at the start of <laughs> the fall. And Jesus comes to reverse the fall. And after his baptism, what does he do? Immediately, he's, draw, he's driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. Holy Spirit, oh, this gentle dove comes down upon Jesus and lights on him. And the Father's voice, behold, my Son, with whom I am well pleased. All glorious gospel. But then the next moment, that, that dove coming down is driving Jesus into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, and where he's tempted by the tempter. Now, you'll find some modern thinkers saying, well, you know, and we'll go through this in a little while, that the devil is really just a psychic phenomenon. Uh, of psychics, well, yes, it may be a manifestation of certain psychics, but a psychic phenomenon that is a projection of our shadow self. There are a lot of uh, Jungian followers of Carl Jung in the church. <laughs> and Carl Jung, Carl Gustav Jung, the uh, student of Sigmund Freud, who is probably one of the most influential modern psychologists says that all evil is just part of our shadow self. So it was Jesus just confronting his shadow self at the, at the temptation? Or was he encountering a personal being with whom he was having a discussion? Did Jesus just, did Jesus have a shadow self? The son of God, the incarnation had a shadow self, and he was just having some internal monologue with his dark side. And if we see that Jesus was confronting that ancient enemy, the one who had led Eve and Adam astray, we would start to see his methodology of deconstructing the deconstructor. Because in Genesis 3, we have the deconstructor asking questions and saying, did God really say? And if you look back through the temptations, we don't have to go through them all tonight. I'm sure you're well aware of the temptations and that account. Jesus addresses the enemy each time. When the enemy says, if you're really the son of God, do this. Well, what did he do to Eve? Hey, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be like God, you know, do this. 
Do for yourself, DIY. What does Jesus say? It is written each time Jesus confronts the tempter with the word of God. He himself is the word of God and speaking forth the word of God to rebuke the enemy. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't for a second doubt who he is in relationship to his Abba, to his daddy. He is in that relationship. The Holy Spirit had brought him to that place and he's filled him, <laughs> always filled him so that he sees his Abba. So if we look at the temptations, we can see the method of deconstruction, doubt, questions. Now, it's not to say that all questions are wrong, but sometimes when we ask or in that perpetual state of doubt and questioning, it's going to lead us to our own reasoning. It's going to veer us away, lead us away from what God has told us and revealed us in his son, Christ Jesus through the breathing into scripture to lead us away from the, the drunken glory, from the true spirit, the Holy Spirit, into the spirit of independence. Excuse me, my fellow Americans, I'm an American citizen too. But 1776, the Declaration of Independence was nothing new. <laughs> There's ancient roots for the Declaration of Independence, right? Uh, I'm giving you a bit of a parody there, but we don't have to declare our independence from our Abba. We don't have to self-differentiate self ourselves to prove this is my identity. Jesus' identity, he never did that. You know, he never did that as some fathers and sons do, mothers and daughters do. Right? I've got to be my own man. I got, I've got to do things for myself. I've got to forge my own path. I think for myself. I do I do, therefore I am. I think, therefore I am. We don't have to do that. Jesus never did that for a second in his whole life in the incarnation. I only do what I see the Father doing. The Son can do nothing of his own authority. <laughs> the Father shows him all that he is doing, and greater things will he show them, so you will marvel. Jesus is fully focused on his Abba. He didn't have to reason things out for himself, even though he was the Logos. <laughs> Here's the Logos of God, the reason of God. He didn't have to reason for himself, think for himself apart from Abba. He thought Abba's thoughts. He was Abba's thought, his best thought. He's euangelion, he himself. So Jesus rebuts the rebutter, denounces the denouncer, and gets rid of that slippery snake and focuses on his mission to give the gospel to the world, to give the good news. There's so much garbage in that modern gospel and it, it creeps in all over the place. And now some of you are probably having uh, questions because you've heard teachers teaching on this thing or that thing, which doesn't seem to line up with that. A lot of teachers are kind of mixing, blending things, you know, this modern gospel in because they're highly influenced by modern philosophy and psychology, social science, and all kinds of things like that, rather than the gospel. Or they're 
you know, strong on the certain parts of the gospel, but not all of it. And they'll blend in the modern thought to explain away the difficult things, which don't fit in with their predilections, their ways of thinking. So love on those people, pray for them. You don't have to denounce them and say, you heretic, you apostate, you're going to hell. Still love on them. And if you can sit with them, have a discussion with them, brother, sister, why do you think that way? How did you come to that conclusion? What are your assumptions? You know, by all means, ask them some questions, you know, to, to help them maybe see what brought them to that place where they're teaching such things. Whew. Deep breath. Everyone just take a, a deep Holy Spirit breath. Because Eric, you might you might say, Eric, you're uh, you're weighing us down with a lot of heavy stuff there. A lot of a lot of bad stuff. It is some bad stuff, brothers and sisters. You don't want to don't want to drink of it, you know. So it's just better to be aware, you know. And if you have questions as we get going, uh, maybe a little later, let's take some questions. Let's let's uh, keep things open, you know, with that. But let's go to the the newer gospel than the ancient gospel, which is the ancient gospel. It's the paradox of <laughs> the old and the new, the beginning and the end, the eternal gospel, we can call this. Not the modern gospel, but the eternal gospel. So bye-bye modern gospels. You might try to come back every now and then, but we'll wave bye-bye. Farewell, fare thee well, and may you repent and be baptized. So the eternal gospel, well, I want to read you a gospel. Um, this gospel is one of the earliest gospels that was found. Whoa. Let's see if I can pull that up there. Ooh, I want to read you word for word pretty well what this says. This, this will blow your mind. One of the earliest gospels, just a fragment of the gospel that is found. Found in what is uh, modern Greece now. And here's what it was written. The most divine king. We should consider equal to the beginning of all things. For when everything was falling into disorder and tending towards dissolution. He restored it once more and gave the whole world a new glory. The king, the common good welfare of all, the beginning of life and vitality. All the cities unanimously adopt the birthday of this divine king as the new beginning of the year. Whereas the providence which has regulated our whole existence has brought our life to the climax of perfection in giving us the king who being sent to us 
and our descendants as savior has put an end to war and has set all things in order. And whereas having become God manifest, the king has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. Wow. Isn't this amazing? This gospel, this euangelion, does anyone know, has anyone read, heard this gospel before? Well, it's dated to the year 6 BC. Six BC. Hold on a second. When was Jesus born? This is the Evangelion, the Gospel of Augustus Caesar. Yep, the Gospel of Augustus Caesar. So. <laughs> You know, when I first read that, it was like, what? Yes, Caesar is the most divine king. He is the beginning of all things. When everything was falling into disorder and tending towards dissolution, he gave a whole new world, a new glory. The king is the common good and welfare of all, the beginning of life and vitality. Uh, we celebrate him. All things are dated by Augustus Caesar. And he's brought to the climax, the perfection. And he is being sent as savior to end war and the manifestation of God. This was the declaration going throughout the Roman Empire that Caesar was the savior of all. Now, what can this teach us about the true euangelion, the true good news the, of great joy? So we've got two gospels going on at the time of Jesus. Well, these gospels, actually, these euangelions were going on even before Jesus. Messengers, evangelists were sent out. If you've heard of marathons before, <laughs> the Battle of Marathon, the Greeks had just defeated the Persians, you know, uh, back uh, about 500 years or more before Christ, Jesus. And evangelists were sent out amongst the Greeks to say, hey, we've beaten the, uh, the Persians. We've denounced, we've defeated the enemy. They're gone. Now all Greece is going to be free again. So euangelions were being spread throughout the ancient Near East. So along comes the, you, the uh, preachers of the good news, those sharing the good news, the gospel, the euangelion the four evangelists, the apostles, and they preached this gospel because gospel was nothing new, actually. This form of writing, of, of uh, communication, was something that was common throughout the ancient world. And what did it do? Well, here was the message. Gospels basically do several major things. One thing they do is say, who the king is. Who is the king? The king is Augustus Caesar. Who is he? He is savior of the world. He is the manifestation of God. He is the son of God. 
So if gospels will first of all declare who is the king, or in our case, who is God. So we have the gospels. When the evangelists come along, they say, well, Caesar is not the true king. Jesus is. So it's a statement of insurrection to the world's systems, to not being conformed according to the world, according to Caesar, but being conformed according to Jesus. Have this mind in you, which is in Christ Jesus. So what does Jesus declare? Who is Jesus? Who is God? So in the true gospel, we have, first of all, who God is. Father, Son, and Spirit. How do we know this? Through who the King is. His Son. The anointed Messiah. The Mashiach. The one who is the anointed King. The true Son of God. The eternal God. The one and only true God. Not one God among many. But the only true eternal God. Who is the Father, Son, and Spirit. Who? So who is God? We'll come back to that as we wrap things up with the full glory full glory who is god second of all what he has done so what has caesar done he has brought peace to the roman empire the pax romana he has brought the peace what has he done and in various other gospels and exploits of caesar we have the declaration of caesar defeated this tyrant here and he defeated this king there and paraded them before his legions you know the accounts of history are many of the exploits of the caesars and the great battles that they won and their great generals so what has god done what has the king done well the king has come in the flesh god has come in the flesh what has he come to do to be our savior he is the soter so this was a term that was being used by the caesars soter savior of the world so jesus declares that he is the lamb of god the one who takes away the sin of the world he is the true savior of the world not caesar but jesus and how does he save them by his life by his death by being crucified by caesar by his descent into hades by his despoiling the devil, the powers and principalities, grazing on the third day, being seen by the apostles and more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, and ascending to heaven, ascending to the Father's right hand. The gospel in brief focuses on who God is, Father, Son, and Spirit, specifically on the king, because everything is revealed in the king. How do you know who God is? Well, God the Son has come to reveal who the Father is by the Spirit. We can't know who God is without the Son. We can try to reason who God is. Well, we see what has happened in all the world religions because of that, or following the enemy into his various deceptions. So who is God? Who is the king? And two, what has he done? What has God done in his son, the incarnation? What has he done? He has come, he has humbled himself, taking the form of a slave, as it says in Philippians 2, emptying himself, humbling himself, 
Even to the point of death, he humbles himself. And therefore, God highly exalts him, gives him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bend, bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Savior because he has done it. He is the king who really and truly saves. Caesar saved no one. <laughs> How did he save people? He killed them. How did he bring peace? Through war. How did Jesus bring peace? Through his own death, through his own crucifixion, accepting that and saving those people who killed him, those who mocked him, those who crucified him. He saved them. He is savior, not a potential savior, but the savior. To be savior, you have to have done it. If I say I am heavyweight champion of the world, well, I better have won that title or else I'm a pretender. Or if I say I'm king of England, well, I better rule and reign over all of England or I'm a pretender. Jesus, if he says he is savior of the whole world, especially those who believe, better have done it already. And indeed, he has done so in his incarnation through his life, death, and resurrection. He did it. We added nothing to it. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us what he has done. Ooh, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1. We can make things official by further reading some scripture, the, the very word of God through St. Paul on his day. Oh, Pauly Paul. Thank you, Brother Paul. Woo! And you, 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 y'all, all y'all, you know, if you're from Texas, all y'all. And all y'all were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Two princes. We'll see uh, the gospel includes the anti-prince. <laughs> I'm not talking about purple rain here. The only purple rain there is is the, the blood of Jesus from the cross. Purple rain, purple rain. Oh, purple rain, purple rain. I only want to see you laughing. In the purple rain. Okay. Whew. In which you once walked following the course of this world or this age, this age, this present age, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Okay, so people are going to come along and say, well, you know, brother. The devil doesn't really exist. The devil is not personal. It's just a manifestation of your shadow side, your shadow self. It's just a psych psychological phenomenon, or it's, it's part of the structure of, of the world system. But this is not the way the ancients believed. <laughs> modern psychologists running around and telling them, you just have a shadow self. You know? 
It's really just an archetype that's existing within your own human psyche. So the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The sons, they're still sons, but they're in disobedience. In Romans chapter 11, verse 32, Paul says that God has consigned all to disobedience so that he might show mercy to all. He has given us all over to our ways and over to these spirits that control us and manipulate us. And we worship them and follow them through our various ways of living rather than following his way. But he's done it to show mercy to us. Uh, the paradox there. Thank, indeed. Thank you, Paul. Uh, Paul W. Thanks be to God. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons, the sons of disobedience. It's almost like they, they're changing their sonship from the true sonship that they have through Jesus in Abba to being sons of the disobedient one, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. The passions of our flesh. The world system is getting us to live according to our passions, our desires. You know, in 1 John, he talks about those passions, those desires of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These things are part of the antichrist, okay, the anti-gospel, the things that would draw us away from being in the love of Abba. You know, if you look in 1 John, read through 1 John, and it's talking about the, that spirits, those spirits that try to draw us away from being in the love and the abiding of Abba, the calm rest. What you notice when you're stirred up in the flesh, how you're far from the place of rest and just oh, Abba, the joy of that. It's it, you sense the conflict going on within you. Oh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So here are the two things in the modern gospel. People will put the standard here, the flesh, the body, and the mind. Those are our two standards. Follow the body, follow the mind, follow the philosophy, follow the feelings. How do you feel about yourself? How, what do you think about yourself? What do you think about the world? That's all that matters. But that is the spirit of the age, the prince of the power of the air. He's broadcasting all the time. You're picking up all kinds of his signals. But, you know, Paul teaches us to... Cast them down. Cast down those imaginations. You don't have to agree with them. Discern those voices. Those voices are not coming from you. Okay? You're a new creation in Christ. We're going to talk a little more about that. You're a new creation in Christ. If, if there is no personal devil whispering those things at you and his, his minions, you know, whispering those things in your head to do those things, if you're a new creation, you're a conflicted new creation. You're not completely a new creation. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, Behold, all of the old has passed, the new has come. So what are these things still whispering at you? They're fallen things which are completely defeated. That's the gospel. Jesus has defeated them. He's held them to open contempt and shame. He despoiled the powers of Hades. He bound them. The only power that they have is here. 
as it says, the prince of the power of the air, making people disobedient, unbelieving the gospel, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. You want to make people angry? Share the gospel with them. <laughs> In some cases, it will make people very upset because they want to live according to their mental standards, their intellectual uh, predilections, and according to their flesh. Don't tell me what to think. Don't tell me what to do. Uh, this is, I'm just telling you what Jesus said and what he wants the best for you. So we're children, disobedient children like, like the rest of mankind, caught in this disobedience. So along comes the gospel. Here it is. But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we're dead. You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your sins, your iniquities. Running far away, thinking for yourself, turn to yourself, being like Adam and Eve. And at times we can still, you know, forget where we are, seated in the glory. You were dead. Jesus is frank to tell us you were dead. Paul speaks it for him. You were dead, but focus on God. The first point of the gospel, who is God? What has he done? And as a result, then we can, and only then when we know who God is and what he has done in Christ Jesus, then we turn to who we are. You'll see a lot of identity preachers these days, and they're spending a lot of time teaching you who you are. And occasionally they'll mention Christ. Occasionally they'll mention Jesus. They might use the word G-O-D every so often. But how often do they preach Abba, Daddy? They're so focused on you and your even your righteousness in Christ. But it's all about you rather than perhaps it being about Christ. So a full focus of the gospel is on Abba, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. Over, over, nonstop. Uh, our eyes fixed. <laughs> Our lips fixed on Jesus. May my lips never leave yours, my Lord, my lover, my life. May I breathe only your word. May I live. My hands only do what you do. I'm dancing with you. Why? Because even when I was dead in my trespasses, when you were dead, when I was dead, when we were all dead in our trespasses, he did it. He did it. Here's the gospel. Made us alive together with himself, with Christ. God did it. Abba did it. By the Holy Spirit in Christ. By grace you have been saved. A grace community. It's all. You know that. But grace can sometimes even become a non-euangelion. Where the grace just becomes the focus. Rather than Jesus the focus. Identity the focus. You being a new creation the focus. You are not the focus of your life. Jesus doesn't focus on himself. He focuses on Abba. He doesn't turn to himself and say, Abba, what do you think about me? He's just focused on Abba, and Abba's going to tell him who he is. You're my beloved son, and you're my well being. I love you more than I love myself. His grace, so we focus on him. He is Mr. Grace, as our friend Mr. Crowder says. And raised us up with him. He did it when we were dead. We could do nothing. 
and seated us with him in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus. So that in ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. From start to finish, it's Christ Jesus and what he has done to save us. What he has done, the tears, the joy, the thanksgiving, Eucharist. Eucharistia means thanksgiving. When we take the Eucharist, it's joy upon joy, taking the body and blood of Jesus Christ, because thank you, thank you, you miraculously have saved me, miraculously translated me from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom that was in darkness, there was no kingdom at all. You transformed me into the light to becoming a son of light. You've done it all. Seated me when I was your enemy. You made me your friend. You made me your lover. You've done it all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What can I do? But thank you. I don't have to do anything, but I want to do everything. But you're going to do everything in and through me. So thank you. We are together. I'm always seated with you in the heavenly places. I don't leave you for a second. You're mine. Totally mine. But it's not about me. It's about you. 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 you, you. I can't stop speaking about you because you're everything to me. And then we. We go to the world because he is everything to us and he's in us and we're in him. We see him. We see we are seated in him now in the heavenly places. And even when we mess up, we're seated with him in the heavenly places. And even when we fall to the deepest, darkest places, we think we're in the deepest, darkest places. We're seated in the most high place in the heavenly place. Oh, you're in the deepest, darkest pit, you think. And he's saying, look at me. Look at me. Look where I am. Look where we are with my Abba. Look at Holy Spirit. Look at look at us. And we will show you who you are. You don't have to figure it out for yourself. You don't have to deconstruct yourself. You don't have to deconstruct your belief systems. We'll show you who we are. And that's everything. Everything. You don't have to worry about the prince of the power of the air. Or the God of this world, as Paul calls him in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. The God of this world who, who blinds, deceives them all. They're people, why are they running us around doing the things that they're doing? Because they're deceived by him, the God of this world. The, the parallelism there, if you're still stuck with that, there's no personal enemy. Go look at the parallelism. Parallelism. In, let's just look at that passage quickly. Oh, we want to get rid of that counterfeiter altogether. Not that he doesn't exist, but that he's been utterly defeated. You don't have to believe his lies, and his only power is to deceive and lead people astray into their flesh. Second Corinthians, chapter sorry, Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four. Chapter 4, verse 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, to the world it seems veiled. Sometimes you share something with people and they won't get it. What, what are you talking about? It is veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4. In their case, the God of this world, the theos of this world, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. The non-gospelers, they're not believing the gospel. To keep them from seeing the light 
They're blinded. They can't, they're in the darkness. They can't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What is the gospel? Christ is the image of God. He is the image of God. You want to know who God is? Look at Christ and show you who God is. He's your Abba. So there's, again, the two princes we were talking about, the two gods, the fallen God, the enemy, he who is a, a prince in the heavenlies, drugged down other princes with him to deceive people, the gods of this world. So if they're, again, the modern mindset will say, well, there's no devil and there's no God. But the parallelism here is there is a God of this world, this God of this age. Greek word is aeon, from the word aeon, which means age, to the eternal God, the eternal gospel. The eternal gospel is that God, that fallen one, is defeated. Repent, change your mind, believe what Jesus says, what Abba Father says about his son in the incarnation. Believe him. Let him change your life. You can't change it yourself, but he's already done it. Even when you were his enemy, he's already done it. My friend, my brother, my sister, you're my sister and my brother. For we, what we proclaim is not ourselves. Again, the gospel is not us. Watch out for those teachers. I'm not denouncing them as heretics. But watch out for teachers who kind of gone into that way of expressing gospel about identity. Of, you know, focus on you, 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 on your prosperity, on your this and that. It's not to say that there isn't prosperity in the gospel. There isn't healing in the gospel and everything. But it's all about Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Abba Father as Jesus does. Focus on the Holy Ghost, Abba, Jesus, and Holy Ghost, one God in three persons, the God who is love. We proclaim him, not ourselves. Ourselves, the only thing we proclaim is we're Jesus' servants. <laughs> and we say we're his servants, and he says, you are my friends. I no longer call you servants, but I call you my friends. For a servant doesn't know what the Father is doing or what the Master is doing. But I have shown you and will show you all that my father has shown me. We look to Jesus and he shows us, hey, we're no longer just servants, but we're friends. And we're friends that serve Jesus. We're his lovers who serve him. Our joy is to serve him because we want to be like him in every way. To go out and share this message. That's part of the service that the gospel is not just about grace for us. It's what's in me. It's in who is in me for others. It's about service, about love, about going out. Not about religious working up and I have to go out, but just feeling calm and at rest. And as you go, blow into somebody's life. Oh, let Holy Spirit blow you over to somebody and just, hey, how are you doing today? Sit down, listen to them. and say, I've got something just beautiful to tell you, something wonderful. And Christ loves you. He lives inside of you. Let me show you. And just release the glory. And what? Whoa, what's that? Who is this? What is going on? And then share more of Jesus. 
For God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness. Again, this contrast between the two, the apparent kingdom of this world, this age, and the true kingdom, which is at hand, which is within you, has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge. This is the true knowledge, the relational knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. The devil may be the ruler of this age and is confusing people all over the place. And several modern thinkers, many modern thinkers have actually said something like this, which is uh, paraphrased or plagiarized in that, that film, Kaiser Sose. I don't know if any of you have seen the film star about Kaiser Sose. What was it called? Anyone remember? The Usual Suspects. <laughs> See it sometime, but Kaiser Sose says the great, the devil's greatest trick is convincing people that he doesn't exist. C.S. Lewis, Thomas Brown, Baudelaire, many others have said this, that the enemy is able to work well in our lives when we think we have no enemy. I am my own enemy. And in fact, if there is no enemy, you are your own enemy because your own shadow side is really effing you up. <laughs> but we have no fear of the enemy. You know, as our friend Brother Crowder says, the devil doesn't exist in my realm. He has nothing to do with us. He is absolutely, absolutely defeated. Jesus has done it. But in other people's lives, he's leading them around the ring around the rosy and uh, having them all fall down. You don't have to spend a lot of time, one, either fearing the devil on the, the ultra-religious side or on the ultra-intellectualist side saying the devil doesn't exist, as most modern intellectuals believe. You don't have to worry about that. Our focus is not on him, but in showing that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And what was the work of the devil to lead us into sin, to lead us into death? And Jesus defeated those fallen spirits, sin and death. They are not just things, they are spirits, the spirit of sin and death. Who swallowed us whole, Jesus came, dived into sin and death and made death itself captive and sin itself captive. And let us out binding Satan, sin and death together in the pit. The only power that they have now is to be like mafia bosses, sending messages to their little minions to confuse us. You're not married to the mob, you're married to the Lord. So he is one, and you have been given all power and authority in him. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. The gospel is completely from start to finish. And I'm ending with this little image that Abba Jesus and Holy Spirit gave me a while ago, a children, children's image. Can you see that there? Oh, he gave that to me and it broken my heart many, many times. And uh, I've got a video, a teaching video on my YouTube, a longer teaching video you can see on this and I'll probably do another one. Who is God? God is love. For what is God? God is love by nature. God is love. 
Everything that God is and does is love. But love is never alone. Love is personal. Love is not just one person, because if it was, it wouldn't be true love. It would be narcissism. And good love doesn't come out of bad love. Love is always personal. Father, Abba, 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 Abba. His son. But it's not just about the two, because that could be exclusive. There's the third, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit, the three are one. These flames here, the image of the flame is inside of one another. The lives are inside of one another. You put three candle flames together. They, you can't almost distinguish between the three. And at times in the Old Testament, it, well, it seems like, hey, there's only one person going on there. But if you see various epiphanies going on throughout the Old Testament, you know, appearing to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre, or appearing to Daniel in the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man in Daniel 7, you'll see multiple hypostases or persons, Father, Son, and Spirit in the Psalms you see it referred to as Yahweh <laughs> and uh, the Angel of God and the Spirit of God, the Angel of God, the Messenger, the Son, the Word. And these three are one, so completely one, never separated for a second in all eternity, not that there is time in eternity, but there has never been a time that they have not been in one another's eyes. If you look deep in their eyes, can you see that? Their eyes are different colors. So the father, who's the, the white one, Abba, has a yellow eye and the carnelian or orange eye. He sees only his son and his spirit. And the spirit has a yellow eye and a white eye because he only sees the son and the father. And the middle one, the gold one, the son, Jesus, the word, has the white eye and the orange eye because he only sees, doesn't see himself. He sees his other spirit face to face in eternal union and eternal love, sharing life together, this love, eternal love union, love glory. And at some point in eternity, this nature, this divine nature, I don't know if we can even use, I don't know how we speak of this because we're so in time, but it, we have in the Trinity, one nature and three persons. The brilliance of the Trinity is to do variations on the theme. If we want to find out the pattern of life, all we have to do is look at the Trinity. The pattern of life in the sun two natures in one person, which is a variation on the theme of three persons in one nature. So it's almost like an inversion or some clever variation on this theme. Remember again, the Trinity is one nature of love, three persons in three persons. And then we have the one person, the middle person in the Trinity, the gold flame, one person, but two natures the divine nature, and he takes on himself a created, creates a new nature in himself, human nature. The human nature. So the divine and human nature in the incarnation, the middle one, Jesus, who becomes Jesus, has a divine and human nature. 
And we might say, well, this happens at the right time when Jesus is born of Mary. He takes his human nature from Mary. He gets the human nature from Mary, the, the nature that he gave her, the new nature. And uh, in fact, he's the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. So we could say that even from before creation, from the foundation, that this was already an actuality, an objective actuality, which at the right time is subjectively happens in the incarnation when Jesus is incarnated in the womb of Mary. <laughs> through the most humble servant in human history, uh, Mary, Mama Mary. So we can call her mother. You guys, if you know me, I'm a Mary's boy, a mama's boy, because our nature, our new nature, comes through Mama Mary in Jesus. So you can love on her as your own mother, honor her as your mother. It's not idolatry. It's Jesus' mother, a part of the family. As Abba is our Abba, Mary is our mother. Abba's our divine Abba, and Mary's our heavenly human mother. We don't worship her, but we love her. So what happens in Jesus in this humanity? Notice all these little flames going on there. Can you see that? Hello, how are you? Unless you become as a little flame, a little child, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So these little flames are just the image and likeness. We're made in the image and likeness of Jesus. We share his human nature. We've got a new human nature in him, united with his divine nature, united with the Father by the Spirit. So as I was saying earlier, whoa, in John's Gospel, chapter 17, guys, just drink, drink deep, John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. You don't even need to leave there for like the rest of your life. Just one word, if I uh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Abba, as you are in me, you're in me now, Daddy. Abba, Abba, Abba. And I am in you. Uh, I'm in you. You're in me. I'm in you. You're in me. We've been saying this for eternity. I'm in you. You're in me. I'm in you. You're in me. Holy Spirit has united us to three and one, the one and three. I'm in you. You're in me. John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Face to face, inside of one another. We, we can't even get that close, seemingly that close, but that's where our lives are. As I am in you and you are in me, may they also be in us. <laughs> may they also be in us as you are in me and I am in you, even as I'm in you and you are in me, they're in us and we're in one another. May they be one as we are one. Whoa! 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 Become as a little child. Thank you, Hayden. Become as an infant. Become as a... Become, not even as an infant, become as a fetus. Unless you become as an unborn, almost an unborn child in the womb. Think of that state of mother in, and baby as one, completely one. That we are, that's our life. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians chapter 3. I can't see it. Why can't I see it? Because your life is hidden in Christ. And 
the baby says, where's this mother you're telling me about? I don't know about this mother you're telling me about, you know, to the twin. You can't see her because you're inside of her. Look at that umbilical cord. <laughs> but our lives were so inside them, deep, 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 deep inside them. And they have made it by their glory, by their grace. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them so that they may be one as we are one, John 17. The glory, the unity, the Holy Spirit that unites us, the person who unites us, unites Abba Jesus, Jesus is saying, unites you and me, Baba. Unites them as well so that they're inside of one another. I wish I had words for this. I wish I had words for this, Adrian. Jennifer, Akisha, I wish I had words to tell you right now. I wish I could tell you how marvelous this is. Amanda in Australia, there's no separation. We talk about no separation, but what does that really mean is there's absolutely no separation, Matt. There is completely no separation, not by anything that we've done, but by the Trinity, the eternal Trinity, the one true God. There is only one manifestation of that in Christ Jesus of who the true God is. And what the true God has done has united us with himself, even when we were his enemies. No other God has done that to his enemies. No other God has come to be a slave, the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low, to serve, to be beaten, to be humiliated to be spat upon shat upon who knows what those romans did to him we just have there's euphemisms going on there they probably were doing grotesque things to jesus at his whipping utterly unspeakable things and he took every bit of it any other god would have gone ballistic the gods of this world would have gone ballistic they would have called down their legions and their troops and you're gone. Avengers time. Thanos, you're but not Jesus. What does he do? He loves us and takes every bit of it. And takes us into himself. When he's lifted up, he draws us into himself and takes us up into his throne and lavishes all the gifts of heaven so that we can share it and be a son exactly as he is a son. No other God has done that. We'll do that to take you to the place of the throne and say, you are with me. You are my son. You are my co-heir, co-equal. You are my beloved one who I love more than I love myself. And I want you to love everyone in exactly the same way. You know why? Because even when they were dead in their trespasses, exactly as you were, and perhaps you were even worse than them, I loved them in exactly the same way. When they were lost in their darkness, when they were in the big slop, when they were doing the, the worst things imaginable, I love them. I don't want to keep them there, but I want them to realize what I've already done and what I've, who I've already made them. 
And if they look at me, they see me and what I have done, they will see themselves for who they truly are because I tell them who they are. I tell you, you are my daughter. You are my son. I love you more than I love myself. I have died for you. I have paid the greatest price for you. I have united you with myself. I have brought you to heaven with myself. I have seated you with myself. I have united you with my humanity and my divinity. And I have united you with all humanity. So Snorri, we're seated inside of one another. Makoto, we're seated inside of one another. We have never been separated for a second and we can never be separated for all eternity. That's why when we do violence against another, we're doing violence against our very selves. Not that I am you and you are me. We are not some kind of Borg or amorphous energy. We are truly persons for who we truly are. We are not going to be lost in some great nothingness. We are brought into the great restoration of fullness, restoring all things to their original purpose and value. And that when I prophesy, I prophesy for within you. Because Abba is showing me your very life. And when I heal, I'm healing from within you by Christ. It's not me doing it, it's him. Inside of you by Holy Spirit, we are completely united, completely one. Now, you know, the world has a counterfeit already of this. The age has it, the spirit of the age. You see how he counterfeits all of these things. We're bringing this to a conclusion here. But the counterfeit for this age is that we're all one. We're all in this together. But how are we all in this together? By some mutual feeling? If you look at the world, they're not all in this together. Everyone's divided more now than before. But we're all in this together because we're all together in Christ. He himself has united us all together in himself. That's where we are, little ones. They're united in his love. So love unites us all together. What is love? It's God. It's who God is. Father, Son, and Spirit is love. No other God is love. That kind of love. Other-centered, self-giving love, self-sacrificial holy love and that's who we are in that image and likeness in that place to be loved and the counterfeit gospels will continue to go on diversity inclusion equity that's all the life of the trinity diversity diversity of persons that each person is not the other each person is fully who that person is abba is who he is jesus is who he is holy spirit is who he is they're diverse, but they're completely united. They're completely included in one life, in one another, inclusion. So when you talk about diversity, inclusion, and equity, die, that the Father, Son, and Spirit have already died in Christ Jesus and raised us up together to be included in Christ. Everyone is included there. They don't realize it. They're not living like it, perhaps, but you can show them where they are. You can show them what Jesus has already done. And then they can change their minds. They, their lives will change. The glory will change. The patterns will change. The desires will change. Jesus doesn't leave us where we were. He raises us up 
some people will tell you it's okay. You just keep people where they are. It's all all right. You know, Jesus is not about that. He is saying, I love you no matter what, no matter where you are, but I'm not going to leave you where you are. I'm going to raise you up with myself and completely metamorphosize you. I'm going to completely transfigure you, completely change you. So you will be who you are, a new creation. You are mine. Let me show you who you are. Let me tell you your identity. Let me tell you your equity. You want to be equitable? You want to be equal? I've already made you a co-heir with myself by the Holy Spirit. Diversity, inclusion, and equity. I say to the world, you have plagiarized the Trinity. Give it back. <laughs> Give it back. So these counterfeit gospels, these modern gospels, they're, they're everywhere, but they're just knockoffs. And the more we see it over and over, the knockoffs, you know, rainbow inclusion, wonderful love. Love is love. Agape is love. God is love. God is not just going to leave you there and leave you in that type of inclusion, but pull you into the true inclusion of true what is agape love, other-centered, self-giving, self-sacrificing love. Not about hate. We hate no one. We are commanded to hate no one. We love, we have no enemies. <laughs> Even if somebody thinks we have enemies, we have no enemies because they are in us and we are in them. We are part of each other. We cannot be separated. And we just, hopefully we speak the truth in love and we can sit down with people, not to condemn, not to judge, but to speak the truth in love, to speak the gospel, the eternal gospel that Abba, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, that God is love. And even as God is love, so are you now in this world. We end with that. 1 John chapter 4, verses 8, 16, and 17. It's repeated twice in case we didn't get it the first time. Theos, God, is agape. He is not eros. Eros is a pagan god, is a Roman Greek god. Eros, false love, self-centered love. God is agape, other-centered, self-giving love, sacrificial love, not focused on self and self-identity, but focused on the divine identity. God is love, and that love, that perfect love, casts out all fear, for fear has to do with judgment. We have no fear of judgment because we know that love and we're seated in that love. And even as God is love, so are we in this world. In this age, we will continue to be lovers, true lovers of all humanity, as Jesus is a true lover of all humanity, not compromising, settling for lesser loves or things that may pretend to be love but true love, which has restored all things and will continue to restore all things. I love you, brothers and sisters. I'm thank you, thanking you for the time that we shared together and Whoa, the eternity so that good, we shared Eric. together. Woo, so good. Thank you so much. We got questions here. We 
Shura ba 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 ba. You guys, if if you guys want to unmute and ask your questions, sometimes it's hard to read all the. Um. Yeah, go ahead, Pierre. Eric, my man. I know. First of all, I do apologize for coming in late. I thought for sure it was like, never mind. So, um, um, yeah. came in on the you know, very tail end, but I really, really love on uh, your use of language, um, especially the image you used about the reason why we can't see God is because we're so far hidden in Him that our life is hidden in Christ. And, and I know you had made mention of. You said meditating, or excuse me, go to John 17, the high priest of prayer of Jesus, meditating on that. It's like John's counterpart to uh, stay in Romans 6, and you'll be the only believer on your block. So what I wanted to ask you was, it's like your use of language, um, especially like in those things, like where are you getting these things from? Is this something that you're getting out of your meditation time, like with meditation on John 17, or like where are you getting this use of language, and how do you polish how do you learn how to use language in this way? Because I think it's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I can't take any credit, Pierre. Uh, I'm an idiot, uh, a born idiot. Uh, I was born with multiple learning disabilities. Wow. And, uh, dysnomia. <laughs> so speech was a, a problem for me. Mm. Uh, dyslexia. And by God's... Abba Jesus and Holy Spirit's amazing grace uh, set me free at the round of my baptism in my 20s. Wow. And I went on to study for six degrees, including a doctorate and teach at college. Wow. I'm an idiot. <laughs> you know, so the language, if anything, it's just coming, hopefully, and I pray, you know, deep and deep from just being in relationship, just, you know, going deeper in relationship. I'm not saying I'm perfect in it. But I think we're all learning just to, to rest and say, Abba, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you know, will teach us to cry out, Abba. You know, that's his, his main task, really, to teach us to pray, Abba, Abba, Abba. And, you know, through the voice, through the word, Jesus, see Abba and Holy Spirit and Jesus dancing and spending time together. And as we go into spend time in the word, spend time in prayer, uh, you know, that's just resting. It's just resting in communication and the family. And the family reveals, you know, the family reveals through the word, uh, through uh, scripture, through, as I was talking about at the beginning, you, you weren't here, but your namesake is St. Pierre, St. Peter, it's St. Peter Day today, mm -hmm. uh, St. Peter, St. Paul Day. So those twin, those brothers, we can call them twins because, you know, they preach the gospel to the Jew and to the Gentile. And, you know, Peter and Paul really showing that there's no, no longer Jew nor, nor Greek, no, no Gentile. We're all one. And so we, we look to them, Peter, Paul, John, you know, the evangelists, we look to them. We look to the church fathers, you know, so often we as modern thinkers can think, I got to figure this out for myself. Mm. But, you know, Jesus has promised the church that the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Now, we've had all kinds of people who come along and said, I'm going to restore it. You know, there have been heretics throughout, you know, as I was talking about Martin and, and there's Arius and you name it, you know, Joseph Smith, Muhammad, 
You know, people mm-hmm. say I'm going to restore the truth. And this can be the danger because we can follow sometimes teachers and, and uh, you know, even Eric Wilding, God forbid, you know, that you'd be a follower, that anyone would ever say I'm a Wildingite or something like that, <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> damn me to hell if, you know, yeah. it ever happens. I don't, I don't want that to happen. But, you know, we, mm. I, I'm, I, I hopefully am just following that tradition that the gates of hell have never prevailed against the church. And although, you know, there may have been some bad dudes along the way and they may have, you know, had some problems, but that there's been definitely fans. work with the Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So we can look to the church fathers, we can look to church history um, and to see, you know, I have an article here on you know, pulling up that you might not be able to see that. Perichoresis uh, and Gregory of Nagrand. Uh, um, yeah. Naz- and Maximus the Confessor, two great church fathers, Orthodox church fathers, uh, Gregory of Nazianzen and Maximus the Confessor. So, you know, Perichoresis, if you're a follower of Baxter Kruger and his Perichoresis mm-hmm. ministry, Baxter was just here in Toronto a few weeks ago, but, you know, wonderful ministry. But, you know, he would be the first person to point you as well to the church fathers. And, you know, just see the tradition, the rich tradition that, that's there. People make errors along the way, by all means. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everyone agrees and gets it right, but there is a general consensus that there is one mm-hmm. church, holy church. It's always holy by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Catholic, that is, you know, whole, kata holos, which means according to the whole, the whole church. So we look throughout mm-hmm. church history, and this is what we held. And um, apostolic, it's built on the foundation of Christ and the apostles. Mm. So hopefully, if I, you know, again, God damn me, if, if I'm ever teaching anything per se new, hopefully I'm just uh, teaching what my brothers and, and sisters, the mothers and fathers have been teaching throughout church history. And, you know, if I'm just giving a, uh, you know, a, uh, a different flavor, we could say. Mm. That might be just from pers- a personal relationship. As you have, you know, Pierre, a particular flavor in a relationship, you know, with, you know, a wife, kids, parents, you know, each mm. relationship has a different flavor. Mm. And, uh, sure. and texture, or, you know, whatever metaphor we want to use and, uh, and let that flow forth because, you know, you've got that, you know, let that flavor flow from you into people's lives as well. And, and, and that gifting. Yeah. Mm. I don't know if that's helpful. Very helpful. I liked, um, I liked the, the phrasing of uh, there's a general consensus throughout history about how certain things are perceived and understood. And we have a foundation to build upon that we build upon that we now use to now express and therefore re-express some of the same timeless truths in the unique flavor by which we are experiencing the God of our salvation. Come on. I'm catching on, guys. I'm catching on. Thank Come you. on. It's great here. And Thank the Holy, you, Spirit, Holy Spirit continue to lead you, brother, and you know, as he is doing, and wonderfully so. And um, and you know, there's we're we're all learning humility along the way as well, and uh, and obedience. There's nothing bad about that by any means um, to say, you know, I really don't know in some cases. 
I really don't know, but I'm, I'm learning. And the Holy Spirit continued to guide me to the right, you know, to right people, the right saints. You might see, you know, I've, I've got a whole uh, above my head, all the saints, the cloud of witnesses hanging out with me. St. Charbel, you might see the big one up there, a Lebanese saint and Jesus and Mary. and thing. We're in this cloud of witnesses together. So you can expect that, you know, St. Gregory of Nazianzen or Maximus the Confessor might whisper something to you someday and give you, hey, here's a new take on, not, here's a, 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 a fresh take, you know, to your context of perichoresis. Or here's a fresh take, you know, Mother Mary might give you on, on what it was like for me to carry Jesus in my womb for those nine months, or, you know, or, or Jesus as a, as a boy in Egypt. Or, whoa. You know, there have been all kinds of revelations that mystics and that the saints uh, have given because our lives were in the heavenly places where, you know, they're above me, but they're inside me and you. So, you know, Mother Teresa or Martin Luther or, you know, whoever the saint may be, uh, some some granny who lived in in Iraq, you know, in the 400s, you know, who's, who's, who's your friend still. You know, it's not necromancy because... There is no more death. Our, our lives are completely one. Those who have passed on into glory and we were alive and remaining until he returns. Or St. Patrick, yes, of course, eight and St. Patrick. Can't forget St. Patrick and St. Bridget and all our great Irish saints. That's awesome, brother. Thank you. Uh, remembering having a family. I think it's Ephesians, right? Um, the whole family in both heaven and earth is named. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, man. Thank you. I, from Abba's name. You my last name and your last name, we've got the same one, not Gucci Wilding, but Abba's son. Or, you know, as the Norwegians say, Snorre, Abba's daughter. You know, Abba, of course, is is part Norwegian. So dancing queen. Take a chance on me. Anyway. Sorry, some, some people are not out, out of music fans. I've got some flack for that recently. I caught it. I caught it. <laughs> Does anybody else have any questions? Q&A? <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Is it Jennifer? Is it Jennifer? Quick, What was the name of the song that you played on the prayer party? It was like, um, it was the, the first song about um, taking it easy, that song. Who's, who's, who's oh, that? that was uh, John Mark Pantana. He was just <laughs> singing spontaneous from YouTube. Thank you. you. Look it up. Yeah. Thank my you. name's my name's Katie, by the way. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Maybe my name on here is Matt, Matt Spinks, but Matt. that's my husband. Woo. Right. Thank you, Katie. Yeah. She's Jenny from the block, too. <laughs> Woo! Shoo! This is good stuff, Eric. Just was it too heavy, it, guys? Was was it was it weighing you down? The, no, it just flowed. Ooh, it just flowed. You know. That was perfect. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, Matt. I knew you had a question, Matt. Bring it on. Hey. Are you hey. talking to me? Oh, hello. Oh, different oh, Matt. Matt. Okay. <laughs> I'll let Matt Boswick go. 
<laughs> oh, there's so many mats in this room. It's about ready to explode. <laughs> well, I, I just wanted to ask <laughs> Matt Hamlin. Um, yeah, I just wanted to ask, you know, I mean, you're somebody I really admire as far as your walk with the Lord. I don't know, for, from a distance here in the interwebs, I always observe the movements of Dr. Eric Wilding. Whoa. And if you have any advice for up and coming mystics, people who enjoy the Lord, I just uh, would love to hear your thoughts and would appreciate your prayers and or texts to recommend. <laughs> well, uh, Matt Bostwick, up and coming mystic, you've had your comeuppance. <laughs> Jesus has brought you, he come up to, come down to bring you up. So you come up and seated with him. You couldn't be any more mystically united. You're up, up and away in your beautiful throne. Uh, reading, readings, 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 readings. Holy Spirit generally tells me uh, no. <laughs> uh, as recommendations, you know, the intellect can be can be uh, dangerous things in some cases, and uh, the big head can be a problem because we only have one big head, Jesus. And uh, you know, the six degrees hopefully is never well. You know, I've tried to not to use Doctor Wilding very much, and to keep away from the arrogance that can go along with that, and the false humility even. But uh, let Holy Spirit lead you. You know, he's going to speak to you at times with readings that if they're, if it's something you need to read, he'll show you what you need to read or, or maybe uh, give you a specific word at a specific time. Or, you know, hey, you know, check out, check out Maximus the Confessor on this. Check out Baxter Kruger on this. Or check out uh, Pope John Paul II on this. Or, Check out Metropolitan Philaret, you know, like a name you haven't even heard of before. And it's just it's like resonating in your spirit. You know, what's this guy, Sergeus Bogakov? Bogakov? What is that? Let me check that out. And, you know, you, oh, Sergeus Bogakov. Wow. Divine love. Ooh, this looks interesting. Lamb of God. Whoa. Okay. You know, ooh, I see there's something in that. Holy Spirit speaks to us in our in the most unusual ways, of course. You know, if you follow some of the Facebook posts that I do, Matt, I see you on there, you know, laughing at me, I'm sure, because it just got some of the weirdest stuff that Holy Spirit says. You know, and I'm not, for the most part, not afraid to post it. Sometimes, yes, because some of it just gets so weird. Like, nobody has any idea. You know, each of us, he speaks to us in our own way. And, you know, if we tried to share it with others, you know, I tried to share it with my wife and kids and they're like, and they know me probably the best. <laughs> they already know my, some of my weirdness, but some of that weirdness. Liesl, you know, your weirdness is like super special weirdness. <laughs> so, you know, Liesl can't just share her weirdness with anyone. You know, she can't cast her pearls before this swine. Because, you know, it, it just, some of the things just go beyond us. But as we just enjoy 
you know, that we don't have to always share everything with everyone, but uh, where we are so led to share things and be vulnerable, other people might say, hey, that's neat. I've never experienced that before. Or, wow, that's similar as, as uh, something that I, I had just happened to me yesterday. This happens over and over because he's, I have one brother who I call my fro, who, uh, friend and brother, he, he, you know, we just have things going on at the same time. We're, in, we're dreaming about each other on the same night. We're getting the same scripture on the same day. Just downloads, it's just like weird stuff that we can share with one another because we're pros. But, and we know it can be, we're safe to be uh, keeping the wilding and the fro weird. So, you know, allow Holy Spirit to let you be the best Maddie that you are. I, I don't know if that, that fully answers your question, but. I don't understand either, but there's so much presence. So yeah, yeah you're not supposed to, but it, it, it resonates. I think, you know, getting past the, past the head, and keep going deeper. I know you're already you're a man of the heart, so just let that sometimes let the inversion <laughs> happen of the head and the heart uh, changing places. Love you, brother. Shaba. Shaba Shaba. I love you, Eric. Thank you for washing us with love and truth. You're so beautiful. Your shiny little face. You're such a gift. We love you so much. We love oh, you, Amanda. You're wonderful. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was awesome. Thank you, Adrian. Oh, Jesus. Shoo. Any more questions? She got da, 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 da. giggles. Just unmute. My question, I don't know, maybe you already touched on it, Eric, but my question was, what is your take on like all this like rehash Nestorianism? Nestorian, I can't even say it right now, sorry. Nestorianism that people have been just gobbling up these days. Uh, well, I mean, even the churches that we tend to label as Nestorian are not really Nestorian. <laughs> and even whether Nestorius was actually Nestorian, that's a, a whole thing. Um, I don't know, you know, maybe this is not the place. Nestorius was, uh, is, was accused of a, a particular heresy and uh, just the division within the, the natures of Christ. And there's, there's a whole Thing that goes along with that but it, it seems you know that the, the churches of the east which are often called Nestorian churches for example the um the uh why is it just disappearing from my my memory now uh the church of iraq the chaldean church oh, abba the chaldean church you know um had the the patriarch, the head patriarch of the Chaldean church and uh, the Pope got together and they are uh, simpatico on the issue of the two natures. So I think, you know, there are, there are heresies that creep up. It's good to, and, and thank you, Marotokos, the bearer of the gift. 
that you share this that is with Matthew us. Wells. Matthew Wells. <laughs> all is well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be wells. As Lady Julian said, shoo, these heresies, uh, it's good to familiarize your, ourselves with church history, guys. You don't have to be scholars, but, you know, and, and Pierre, this kind of brings back to your question as well. Familiarize yourself with church history. Familiarize yourself with the family history um, because these heresies creep up over and over. Like the Jehovah's Witnesses are just respouting the Arian heresy. Uh, the oneness Pentecostals are just spouting the ancient modalism, many of them. You know, so nothing, you know, as Solomon said, nothing is new under the sun. So it's good to get a, you know, if you're looking for something to read, I'm not the boss off with left, but uh, with a good uh, history of, of, of Christian faith from Christ to today, you know, or even, you know, the early church, you know, even the first 500 years, find a, a, a credible history like uh, Owen Chadwick has a, a good one on church history. Now I'm looking at some of one just in front of me now, uh, which is even a picture book. <laughs> Let me grab that. I like picture books. <laughs> we're, we're children here. So this one was just in front of me. So here's a nice picture book. You know, so it kind of gives you an overview. It doesn't go into too much depth. It gives us some nice icons in there to break up the reading every so often with some nice pictures. And it gives you a history of, of various things of the coronation of the emperor and, and, you know, the church in England and all kinds of things. You don't have to get this book, but, you know, and it gives you things of the Reformation, all kinds of things. So, you know, you can familiarize yourself with, uh, with some of, the issues that the the church has had to struggle with over time, you know, of who basically who is God and who is Christ. Those are the and the Holy Spirit, of course. Uh, those are the the big heresies that come up over and over, you know, trying to divide the Godhead, um, or trying to divide the incarnation, the incarnationist. So, just you know, being able to give as P as St. Pierre says, St. Peter says, you know, be able to give a, an informed response for the hope that lies within you, right? It, it's not about intellectualism by any means, but, you know, you people have been to school at some point in your life, you know how to read. So, uh, you know, just familiarizing yourself with history. And then again, the saints, <laughs> with the Holy Spirit, Mother Mary, they'll continue to to guide you, hope you know, along the right path um, there as well. 